Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Mm. And here we are, we're back, and we have a very special guest with us. Do you want to introduce our guest, my love? Yes, this is longtime bestest of the best friends, <laughs> knew I was pregnant with my first child before I knew, was there when I gave birth. Best friend. Love her forever. This is my friend Krista. Hi. Krista, how's it going? It's a going. Yeah? Are you yeah. excited to be here? I'm so stoked. We're so happy you're here. So the fun story about this is that when you guys are listening to this, it will be Krista's birthday. Are you cool with uh, the revealing of the age? Oh, yes. I will be Krista 30 years old. Krista will be 30. It's so exciting. So, uh... I, I was having a hard time picking an episode topic for this week. So I just texted her and said, hey, it's your birthday. Is there a special story you want to hear on your birthday? And she made the request, and here we are. I will introduce that in a second. So we thought it would be really fun to bring her on. She is the first premiering guest. That's right. Ooh. So I'm so honored. Yeah. I That sounds like I'm being ironic but i'm not i'm so happy to be here i'm so excited <laughs> we're so we've been laughing hysterically for like the last 40 straight minutes right. yeah we're actually running be way beautiful. behind schedule already which is no, oh I'm, just my goodness. I'm just kidding we're not we do this till like three in the morning sometimes, Stop. So. yeah i'm so sorry kevin poor kevin is trying to set up and we're just no we are away unprofessional we're sorry this is no this is, no me i'm unprofessional i'm not being paid so i will not be neither am i <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Well, we need to ask the very first question that we always ask. Mm -hmm. What are you drinking? Well, I'm drinking a very large Dr. Pepper. A huge one. How large is that Dr. Pepper? It's the extra large from the come and go gas station. So it's not a joke. (laughs) It's like 624 ounces. (laughs) It's roughly the size of a two-year-old child. If you liquefied it. (laughs) What's the really big size on Parks and Rec? The, the That's that. size. <laughs> That's not what it is. <laughs> if you liquefied it, Kevin. Oh, my gosh. I, I just forgot. I just forgot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> What are oh you drinking, gosh. Krista? Um, I'm dr- I have two drinks because that's who I am as a person. Yeah. Um, and I am drinking a sugar-free Red Bull and Ooh. a tangerine LaCroix or LaCroix, yeah. as we sometimes like to call it in my household, neither which I'm sponsored by. True. That's <laughs> a good point. Not, I'm not doing anything for free. Yeah, that's true. I've got nothing to offer you but my love. And that's okay. No, we've already worked this out a long time ago. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. It's okay. 
Kevin, what are you drinking? My drink of choice tonight is a Canada Dry with some white rum in it. Oh, a little I, special surprise. Yeah. I almost brought a Canada Dry because I have the special holiday ones, blackberry and cranberry. They're oh, incredible. Oh, the cranberry really ones are my jam. Mm. I've never tried blackberry. That sounds so good. My friend gets them for me at the Sam's Club. Mm. The Sam's? At the old Sam's. Yes, I love it so much. All right, well... Do you have a feel-good fact for us this week? You know I've got a feel-good fact. So, in South Korea, spooky attractions and horror movie marathons are done primarily in the summer because it's believed that if you get scared on a hot summer's night, the fear will cool you down. That's what I consider to be making your chills work for you, and I'm here for it. Hmm. I love that. They believe that you'll get the goosebumps and get chilled, like, when you get chilled. Even though you're hot. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> It'll cool you down. There's something very wholesome about that. Mm-hmm. I love it. I do too. But yeah, that, that was the feel-good fact. That's a nice one. That's a nice quick one. Yeah. Usually you've got a little more of a setup, and that one was just like a legit feel-good fact. Just a quick little, just a little number. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. That's nice. This is awkward. <laughs> that's, it's not awkward. You make it awkward when you say it's awkward. Oh my God, mom and dad are fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Don't I worry. feel like all your feel-good facts are short. Short and sweet. Last week I talked for about four minutes. <laughs> about good I listened to every episode and I didn't think it was that long, so it's fine. We are getting live reviews. Wow, okay. okay. This is like live tweeting, but better. Yeah. By the way. Also, the, fi- the phone lines are open, so. No. They're ringing off the hook right They're now. <laughs> um, by the way, for you fellow listeners, I did not know you could rate things on Spotify. So every time Kevin says it, I was like, I, wh- I listen on Spotify. Mm. You can read it. Oh my gosh. I'm probably stupid. You're I, not. I didn't know you could read things on Spotify either. <laughs> oh my so gosh. Okay, I'm not stupid. You're, you're doing just fine. Oh, oh my goodness. That's hilarious. All right. Well, what do you have for us? Tonight? All right. So this week we're going to talk about another cryptid. At the request of my birthday friend, we're going to cover a figure that is a favorite of many people who enjoy cryptid stories and lore. I've got to be honest from the get-go and say that this episode might not cover the entire gambit of this particular creature. We may end up with multiple episodes about this character over time. But for now, I'm going to do my best to lay down the facts, myths, and many, many opinions about the Mothman. So grab your ghosty print fuzzy socks and gather around the cauldron, because this one's a doozy. She said the line. She said it. She said it. This is happening. Oh oh my God. I'm not not kidding. I'm a big fan. (laughs) In the late 1960s, the people of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, were being stalked and terrified by a dark, winged, humanoid creature. There were several sightings across the span of 13 months, and while a creature with a name like Mothman sounds straight out of any old local boogeyman story meant to keep teenagers from breaking curfew or little kids from disrespecting their parents, lest the boogeyman come to get you, this story is based on eyewitness testimony of over 100 people. So let's start by talking about Point Pleasant. A hundred people over, like, in, like, one moment or over the course of Yeah. Time? Over the course of 13 months. There were more, like, undocumented mm-hmm. conversations that people had. So, like, more witnesses. But those are the ones that were documented. Jeez. Yeah. I, if I'm remembering right, I thought there was a big moment that a lot of people witnessed. But. I there are big moments. I might be misremembering. Well, we'll find out. We'll find we're out. Find out that's, that's the mystery of it. <laughs> Point Pleasant, West Virginia is an old town situated on the Ohio and Kanawha rivers. At the time of this story, there was a population of between five to 6,000 residents, and it's even smaller today. 
Many of the residents can trace their family's presence in the area all the way back to when the town was first established in 1774. All of that to say it's a small, rural town of hardworking people who pretty much know each other and are just going about their business, living small town life. Mm. There's an area a few miles north of Point Pleasant that's called the McClintic Wildlife Management Area. It's more than 3,000 acres of farmland, wetlands, and woodlands. But more interestingly, at least in my opinion, is that the area is known to the locals as the TNT area. Because during World War II, this area housed a facility that would manufacture and store explosives. It was called the West Virginia Ordnance Works. At that time, it spanned over 8,000 acres and was abandoned when World War II came to a close. There are still decontamination efforts going on as far as I can tell, and there are still explosives in the area. <laughs> so is it, is like it like active? a... Yeah, is it like a... <laughs> That or is it like radioactive, like Chernobyl type of thing? I don't think it's that extreme, okay. but but a lot of people think that because of the materials that were just kind of left there, mm-hmm. that it's kind of inevitable that some of it like leaked into the water right, systems you and would stuff. Think so so yeah, there is some theories about that. So we'll talk more about those. Just the planet. It's fine. <laughs> just thinking ahead. It's whatever. But in 1966, it was a hot spot for young people in the area to go because it was isolated and private. And when you're a bored young person in a small town, why not head over to the TNT area for some hangs? Mm. Or the bowling alley. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't uh, fact check if there's a bowling alley or if there was a bowling alley. In In the 1700s? No, in 1966. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we were still in 1700 time. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. We jumped ahead a little bit. Just... It's just fine. a couple hundred years. It's <laughs> yeah. fine. So that brings us to the scene of one of the first known sightings. On November 15th, 1966, two couples were headed out to the TNT area in the evening around 11 p.m. This was Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Millette. So as they approached a specific location in the TNT area, what's called the North Power Plant, Roger noticed a pair of what he believed to be red lights of some kind just ahead of them. As they got closer to it, they all saw what they described as a large gray man that stood roughly seven feet tall. He had large wings folded against his back and a pair of extremely large glowing red eyes. Incredible. Incredible. They were moving towards it in the car when it suddenly took off on foot towards the North Power Plant. But they said while it looked like it was trying to run, it appeared that it like almost didn't know how to run on foot. So it kind of hobbled awkwardly in the direction of the power plant and then out of sight, at least for the moment. He might just be club footed. Uh, we rude. don't judge here. We don't judge here. <laughs> kind of judgy. I'm honestly. just telling you what Linda said. Well, Linda. <laughs> Darn it, Linda. Stop so, being ableist, Linda. <laughs> so obviously they were terrified by whatever this thing was. So they backed out and took off on the roads that they'd taken to get in through dense, dark trees all the while wondering what the heck they'd just seen and if it was going to try to follow them. As they neared Route 62 towards Point Pleasant, they noticed the creature again, this time perched on top of a billboard. Oh, weird. As it saw them in their car, it spread its massive wings and flew towards them with startling speed. They're full-blown freaking out at this point, screaming at Roger to go faster. So Roger floored the car along a straight stretch of Route 62, apparently driving upwards of 100 miles an hour. That is the correct thing to do. In that scenario. Yes, yes, that's the only right way to handle that. <laughs> but shockingly, they were still being pursued. The monster with the red eyes keeping pace with them. Oh. So it was flying fast. And it's like, 
how tall did you say it was? Roughly seven feet. I was going to say, so it's like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. Flying towards you. Flying Flying at at rapid speed (laughs) towards you. Upwards of 100 miles an hour. That's so fast, Kareem. (laughs) Kareem, (laughs) slow it down. (laughs) Do you know the speed limit, Kareem? That's crazy. (laughs) I would like to ask Roger if he knows the speed limit, because he's the one in a motorized vehicle. Well, he's running away from Kareem (laughs) Abdul-Jabbar. Every time one of them would look out the back window or into the rearview mirror, there were the red eyes, close behind, and a monstrous dark shadow looming closer at every moment. At certain points during the chase, they said that they could feel the wings and body of the creature making contact with the car. Oh my gosh. And even claimed later that it had made scratch marks on the car. They all claimed that it was screeching and squeaking throughout the whole ordeal. Mm. It was making a vocalization of some kind. Which I don't love. That's crazy. Finally, the group makes it into town, and just as they reach the edge of town, the monster flew off towards a field out of sight once again. So once they made it into town, they debated on what to do next. Like, who's going to believe us if we report this thing? They didn't believe what they'd just seen. They themselves had no idea what on earth had just happened to them. So if they reported the incident to the police or to the news, they were concerned that everybody would just think they're crazy. Right. And unfortunately, in a small town, getting labeled as the village crazy person is one of the more unpleasant things that can happen. Mm. I'm too mouthy. <laughs> I'm, I have to gossip. I'm a Libra. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to. I would go into town and be like, do you know what I just saw? Everybody. Kareem abdul <laughs> shooting down the road at me. His eyes red. Bright red. Glowing. He's wearing these crazy wings. <laughs> wearing them he's serving oh my gosh serving and i mean it was probably even worse back in the 60s like Mm -hmm. if you consider small town Mm -hmm. life now or even when we were kids growing up in a small Mm -hmm. town you know you that's a tricky and i was a crazy person same it's fine (laughs) but despite that they knew that they couldn't and shouldn't keep this to themselves so they contacted the mason county police department and reported what they saw They told Deputy Millard Halstead exactly what they saw, recounting every single detail that they could in hopes of being believed. At first, the officer was skeptical, which is fair. This is a wild story. A seven-foot-tall humanoid creature with a ten-foot wingspan and glowing red eyes not only exists, but chased you in your car and kept up with you even at speeds of 100 miles an hour. Wait, so did they have these claw marks on their car to prove it? I don't think that they took any photos of it, okay. so I'm not sure. That's mm. that's what the claim was. That would have been done. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Evidence. Slam dunk. Right there. That's what Kareem Abdul did. <laughs> that's what Kareem would have done, honestly. Literally. Kareem. <laughs> so all four members of the group were interviewed separately, and not only were their descriptions of the event all the exact same, but so was their description of the creature itself. That and the officer knew that neither of these couples were known to be troublemakers or like untrustworthy in any way. So surprisingly enough, the police believed their story. Police went out to the TNT area near the North Power Plant to investigate along with the two couples. Although nothing was found in relation to the creature, police did note that all of their walkie talkies were giving off like a weird static noise that it didn't normally make. Well, I mean, it's (laughs) the 60s. And they're walkie-talkies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That one's... Have you never seen... I guess Stranger Things is in the 80s, but still the same problem. Probably hadn't improved much since Probably then. Probably not much. Mm. Not yet. I mean, Look priorities. Now. Right, right. So as soon as the report hit the news that there was a monster loose in the TNT area, 
a sort of hysteria broke out to the point that National Guard had to come in and calm down the public that was <laughs> regularly heading into the TNT area with guns drawn, ready to take this thing Which down. Which is super safe for the TNT area. Wow. And for all of, the, all of the people, just like walking in with guns. You can't imagine... There's How just gunpowder in the air. Yeah. Everyone's it's the TNT it. area. <laughs> and they said, let's bring our all of our guns. I didn't even think of that, honestly. You never know what can happen in the TNT area. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> but because nobody knew what it was, and because there were restrictions against killing certain local species, the idea of taking this thing down with a gun wasn't going to fly. Some thought that it was an abnormally huge owl, Others thought that maybe it was a crane, but nobody knew for certain what exactly it was that was visiting Point Pleasant. One important thing to know is that within a day of the first sighting, the press had already given the creature the name The Mothman. Nice. So on the evening after the Scarberry and Millette sighting, there began to be more sightings popping up all over the area. The night after the first sighting, on November 16th, 1966, a woman named Marcella Bennett and her daughter Tina had hopped in a car with Marcella's brother and sister-in-law, the Wamsleys, to go visit their sister and brother-in-law, Ralph and Virginia Thomas, who happened to live very near the TNT area. When they arrived at the home, Ralph and Virginia weren't there because, you know, the 60s. Mm-hmm. So the Wamsleys, along... Can't call ahead. <laughs> Can't call ahead. Yeah. Uh, so the Wamsleys, along with Marcella and baby Tina, chatted for a few minutes with the Thomas children in their home while they waited to see if Ralph and Virginia would be back. When they didn't return, the Wamsleys and Marcella decided that they'd better head out. So Marcella was walking ahead of the other two while holding baby Tina. Mr. Wamsley told her to look up at the sky. He'd seen something flying that appeared to be lit up. It looked like a craft of some kind, but he knew it wasn't a plane. Marcella didn't pay much attention to it. She kept walking towards the car and reached for the car door handle when suddenly, from behind the other side of the car, a dark gray creature with huge wings and glowing red eyes rose up. Marcella was paralyzed, almost hypnotized with fear, so much so that she actually dropped her baby. (gasps) Yeah, she's okay. Don't worry. Tina's fine. Mr. Wamsley saw what was happening and picked up baby Tina, who was thankfully unharmed. He also grabbed Marcella and kind of corralled everyone back into the house and locked the door behind them. Everyone inside was petrified by what they'd seen. Within an instant of the door closing, they could all hear a bang coming from the porch and pounding on the door. When they looked out the window, they saw the creature with its fiery red eyes staring right back at them. The women and children flew into a frenzy while Mr. Wamsley called the police. By the time police had arrived, the creature was gone. Kind of like vampire-esque qualities. Like, I'm just going to stand out here because you guys didn't invite me in. Hello? Yeah. (laughs) Could I maybe come in? Guys, just want to come hang out. Do you not know that my red glowing eyes are so friendly? Yeah. Hello? So there were sightings happening all over the area. The public response to the claims was a bit of a mixed bag. You had some people that believed it completely, some that were a little more skeptical, and others that thought that the whole thing was just straight up ridiculous. But even still, those who reported what they saw maintained their stories. It's sad because in follow-up statements that people made, witnesses not only felt the need to defend their sightings, but also themselves. Hmm. Linda Scarberry said, quote, I know people are laughing at us, but it's no laughing matter. We will never forget this thing. It has affected our lives in many ways. I am keeping going on nerve and sleeping pills. When it gets dark, I feel the fear creeping over me. When I go any place, I automatically look up and out the window. 
I'm afraid to sleep at night, so I lay awake sometimes crying with fear. When I do sleep or go to bed, the lights burn all night. Even in the daylight, I am afraid to be by myself. I walk around my own house expecting to see that thing. I close my eyes, day or night, and I can see those fiery red eyes staring at me. End quote. That's actually so sad. It is. Mothman made this poor woman, like, agoraphobic. Right. <laughs> he did. Well, and she she actually had to seek medical treatment yeah. for shock. I didn't write that down because well, I knew I'd remember traumatizing. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just super sad. So she also said, quote, we have seen it, so we know what to look for, and we are constantly looking, not because we want to see it, but because we're afraid we'll see it again, yeah. end quote. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this was like a formative moment in their lives. Yeah. So all of that to say, the people who saw the Mothman were deeply affected by what they had experienced. We hear stories of people who spot something strange, and it's kind of easy to write them off because the stories sound so impossible and bizarre. But I think there's something very compelling about the people who claim to see the Mothman. The way that they talk about it, it's like their whole lives were completely flipped upside down. And as people, it's like they were never the same again. Mm -hmm. I believe that at the very least, many eyewitnesses did see something that scared them. Well, and even if it's not true, it's like, why not just let people have their kooky little stories? Yeah. Well, that's, if they're not hurting anybody. Yeah, that's a good point. Just tell them. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for the story. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for that one. Yeah, that would freak me There's out. There's no though. harm in that. I don't know why you there, have to come for them. Yeah. No. It was mean because, like, I skipped a lot of her statement that she'd made about that specifically. And, like, they couldn't go anywhere without people laughing at oh, them. Geez. And, and oh. like, right with an earshot making fun of them. So it's just really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Their their fear of being judged by their peers was valid. Mm -hmm. So now, of course, it is possible that this was a case of mistaken identity or a case of mass hysteria to some degree. But over the course of 13 months, as I said, there were nearly 100 reported sightings of the Mothman in Point Pleasant and in neighboring communities, with the majority of sightings taking place in the TNT area. Many more people either waited to come forward or never went public with their reports because they, too, were afraid of being mocked. Yeah. But several details were the same across the sightings. A large gray or black humanoid creature standing between five and seven feet tall with a wingspan of up to ten feet. Glowing red eyes and an either undistinguishable face or no face at all. Just eyes floating above a body. Many noted that it flew like a helicopter and that its flight was both silent and without the flapping of the wings. It's like they would just spread the wings and just fly. And they would just rotate around like mm. a helicopter. <laughs> that's what I'm That's what No, I'm like picturing. hovering. Like the way that a helicopter hovers yeah. versus a bird that flaps. You got mm. it. You were oh, making yeah, fun yeah, of yeah. me. Okay. I wasn't making fun of you. I was making fun of Mothman. <laughs> Mothman, you big little helicopter. <laughs> just spinning. JK, I love you, Mothman. <laughs> yeah, don't take it personally, Mothman. She didn't mean it. Many also said that it seemed to be repelled by bright lights. Many witnesses described a feeling of being frozen with fear and a feeling of intense heaviness that accompanied their sightings. Hmm. So along with sightings of the Mothman came a slew of other extremely strange sightings. But first, we need to talk about Mary Heyer and John Keel. Okay. So Mary Heyer was a journalist for a newspaper called the Athens Messenger that was based in Athens, Ohio, which is about a 50-minute drive away from Point Pleasant. She also had an office in Point Pleasant on Main Street, and she developed relationships with people in the community. Initially, when sightings began, locals were much more willing to talk with Mary higher than they were with out-of-towners coming in. Hmm. My assumption as to why this is is just because of the relationship that she'd formed with them over the years and because she genuinely seemed to believe them. 
she had a regular column in the Athens Journal that she called Where the Waters Mingle. Um, Many people believe, actually, I didn't talk about this at all, but many people believe that the mixing of two rivers, different waters coming together, is like a recipe for not necessarily paranormal because unnatural yeah unnatural Mm, occurrences yeah yeah, i've Mm -hmm. heard this yes so i think that that's where she got the what was the name of her her article uh where the waters mingle incredible title beautiful yeah poetic yeah poetry it is symmetry (laughs) what is synergy 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 symmetry Yeah, so and either way, many people believe that the concept of waters mixing together is relevant to the weirdness in the area. Mm-hmm. So she began with sharing people's testimony, and then she began seeing strange lights in the sky that she also reported on. Hmm. These writings got the attention of an author from New York by the name of John Keel, who had a special interest in researching and documenting what I saw referred to as Fortean research, which from what I gathered just means researching strange and anomalous occurrences. So I want to do a full episode on this concept and on some of like the heavy hitters Mm. in the field at some point because it's super interesting, but we don't have time for that today. Anyways, Mary Heyer and John Keel would connect and begin a sort of like team project in chronicling the bizarre occurrences in the Point Pleasant area and kind of the surrounding areas as well. So Mary would share about UFO sightings that had been happening in the area for over 30 years. And on December 7th, 1966, John Keel would head to Point Pleasant for some hands-on research. Much of this would be documented in letters shared between Heyer and Keel in Where the Waters Mingle columns and with even more details in John Keel's most famous book that I'll be talking about later. So John Keel, Mary Heyer, and five Mothman witnesses, including the Scarberries, Millettes, and a woman by the name of Connie Carpenter, would all journey to the TNT area together to have a look around. They walked for some time, both in and around the North Power Plant, when suddenly Connie Carpenter screamed out that she saw the creature. This would mark the beginning of Keel and higher string of wild experiences. Sightings of the Mothman and sightings of UFOs would be had, and neither Keel nor Hire would be quiet about what they were witnessing. Mm. Residents of Point Pleasant would also see many things that they couldn't explain either, such as lights in the sky, more Mothman sightings, and lights and figures in the forested areas. Okay, what a dream, though, as a writer, because this guy's coming in because he's heard about this, Mm -hmm. and now he's experiencing these things. Mm -hmm. I did see that he never actually saw Mothman for himself, which is interesting, but he did see a lot of the skylights. But that's so crazy. Like He's like, I'm going to go write about this thing, and then he's experiencing it. Yeah. Firsthand. I know. Right. How many That's people get that chance? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. They would be more reluctant to go public with their statements, but there was a buzz about town. You were a stone's throw from a person who'd seen something bizarre at any given moment if you were in Point Pleasant. Six degrees of Mothman. Yes, that's what it's called. <laughs> and this would attract the attention of some extremely interesting characters. The men in black. Wait, for real? For real, for real. For real men in black? That's a thing? Yes, the Will Smith was black. there. <laughs> Will Smith showed up. And he the guy did not who, hit anyone. <laughs> but we will not keep his name out of our mouths. Sorry. We that's can't. Right. We're unable to. But like legit men in black. Like that's actually an... Okay. Yeah. I am I told you to buckle up, Kevbot. Yeah, yes, you did. Because this one is a doozy. This one sure is. She said it. I did. So men in black have been a huge part of the sort of lore surrounding UFO sightings since at least the late 1940s. 
While there have been many varying descriptions of who they are and what they look like and those sorts of things, their purpose seems to be the same across the board, to silence witnesses of paranormal or extraterrestrial sightings, to keep them from going public. Their means and ends of pulling this off also looks a little different in different circles, but that's the meat and potatoes of it. So as the eyewitness accounts of the Mothman and UFOs began piling higher and higher, the town of Point Pleasant would be visited by the men in black, beginning in either November or December of 1966. Residents within a 50-mile radius who went public with UFO sightings would receive notes in their homes. They would be approached sometimes by these men who would say things like, quote, we know what you've seen and we know that you've talked about it. You better keep your mouth shut. End quote. Yeah. Just straight up threatening them. Yes, that's so crazy. they would also approach people who claim to have seen Mothman and they would ask for a description of the creature. And then they'd tell those residents to keep their mouths shut over the Mothman. Like the men in black would show up to public witnesses, homes, sometimes even their jobs, asking them why they came forward about what they saw. And they would tell them that you need to stop. You're causing panic. So this was before they came up with the mind zapper tool. Yes, they couldn't because just, they, they couldn't stop it. It's spreading like wildfire. It's too late. And then later down the road, they said, "You know what? Now we got a mind zapper." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why a lot of people are like, "I never believed it." It's like, well, because you got your mind zapped. Right? Yeah. So I'm saying now that Men in Black, starring Will Smith, was a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying it now. Wake up, wake up, sheeple. <laughs> oh, God. I I. So I'm learning something. I I totally thought that was a fictional, just kind of made up little thing. Nope. So now I, that's like a legit, is there like actual like documentation of mm-hmm. the men in black? Wow. Yep. There's a movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones is yes, also in it. Yes. <sighs> Yes. Okay, but I actually, no, I really had heard of The Men in Black, and I'm not joking, I never even put two and two together with the movie. Yeah. I just, now I'm like, oh, that's why that movie was like that. But they they tried to make us believe that The Men in Black were the good guys. Oh, that's, ooh, (laughs) that's kind of a hot take here. Yeah. Well, I mean, if that's not... The Men in Black are actually running Hollywood, is what (laughs) you're trying to say. Yes. (laughs) They're in charge. We're going to get a visit by the For legal black. reasons, that's a joke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're, we're just speculating, yes. allegedly. Well, yeah, they allegedly are, run Hollywood. This is a joke. Kevin's going to get us in trouble. I know. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Yes, yeah, sir. So, yeah, the, the earliest report that I saw was, I think, either 1942 or 1947. And that was the first time that anybody had documented being visited by men in black suits with black fedoras. Who basically were like, what did you see? Milady. Milady. <laughs> May I come in, Milady? <laughs> yeah, they were You scary. better shut your mouth, Milady. <laughs> or else. Wow. Okay, so Mary Heyer and John Keel would also begin to be tracked. First in small ways, like having their phone calls monitored, mail intercepted, or just the simple feeling like they were being followed. But this would amp up. Men dressed in all black suits and fedoras would meander through town in full sight of many residents, stating that they worked for an undisclosed branch of the government. Their presence was unsettling to the public, to say the least. People would give more detailed, more disturbing accounts about what the men themselves actually looked like, and I hate this. So they say that they look like men, 
but their skin appeared to have had a transparency to it. And they could, like, see their veins through their skin. There was an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that Mm. has haunted me. And it's, like, kind of like that, basically, like, dudes, like, men in black. Mm -hmm. But they're, like, really creepy looking. And the whole episode was completely silent. Yeah. Because they, like, steal the whole town's voices. And it was so unnerving. And then they put their faces in the opening. So every single episode I watched, I was like, ah. You had to be reminded of it. It was so scary, though. Oh, that sounds scary. Like, unnerving. Yes. Yeah. what's, What's the... Uncanny, uncanny, uncanny valley. valley. Yeah. Yes, it's kind of one of those sorts of things. But like, that's what I'm picturing when you say that. Yeah, <laughs> and they kind of—I mean, I'm sure these people didn't because they're like obviously supposed to be men, but like mm-hmm. they kind of like floated above the ground. It was very unnerving. Who knows? The men in black could have floated. So they also had weirdly long fingers, and many people said it appeared as though the men never blinked. Ew. They were Ooh. also known to follow people around for miles and miles by vehicle. Anytime someone would attempt to take a photo of their license plates and report the vehicle to law enforcement, those people would be informed that the license plate didn't exist. It goes all the way to the top. What? <laughs> no need reporting them. <laughs> it goes all the way to the top. Oh, my. Oh. <laughs> and I mean, this is a small town. I know I've harped on that a little bit, but I just picture the small town that I grew up in when I hear stories like these. And I think about how, like, impossibly abnormal and scary this whole thing would be. And sort of the exclamation point of having men in black showing up mm-hmm. and telling like Uncle Bob or Joe Schmo the grocer to keep quiet. That'd be terrifying. They would literally, they'd be down at the co-op like, hey, <laughs> kids, you shut your mouth about what you saw. <laughs> I can, and we would be on Twitter like, oh my gosh, <laughs> these men in black. <laughs> okay, so then in January of 1967, Mary Heyer would be visited directly by one of these men at her office in downtown Point Pleasant. She recounted her experience in a letter that she sent to John, and there's something so strange about reading this letter. It feels so much more real. So Mm. I'm going to make sure to link letters and articles and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, that was just a thought. So John Keel would have plenty of run-ins with the men in black as well. He was beginning to become afraid for his safety and just the general implications of whatever the purpose of these visits by these strange men could be. As he began writing and sharing articles about the men in black's presence in Point Pleasant, he would begin to be followed by car, but not discreetly. He Mm. said that he'd run the plates and the plates hadn't been issued to anyone. He initially reported that they were in black Cadillacs, and within no time at all, they'd show up in black Volkswagens, still with untraceable plates. Weird. There's like multiple of them, too. Where did they get that many black Volkswagens on like a minute's notice? Right. He said, I need any foreign car in black. Please. I don't think Cadillacs are foreign. I don't know. I'm not a car person. I'm not a car person either. <laughs> Kevin? I'm not a car person. Well, oh. shoot. Yeah. We'll never know. Guess we'll never know. <laughs> Once while he was walking downtown with a friend, a man in black showed up, took their photo, and then sprinted away. For oh. some reason, that gave me the visual of the guy. It might be Radiohead did that. Well, maybe it wasn't Radiohead. Do you remember the video that everybody thought was real? Of the guy in the middle of like a country road running with his suit and briefcase. He's like in a suit and tie running with a briefcase. And then like they keep driving forward and there's like 30 of the guys running with the oh, suitcase. Oh, yeah. It that gave me creepy. that visual. Oh, uh, maybe it wasn't video. Radiohead. It I was a band. It was, but yeah. it was a band who put it out. But it, it gave me <laughs> it that. It was a band. <laughs> it was a band of some sort. Mm. But anyway, the whole thing was straight up eerie. So I can't move on from the topic of weird dudes scaring the daylights out of people without talking about injured cold. So. Injured cold? 
Indrid? Indrid. Cold. Cold. Yes. So Woodrow Derenberger was a sewing machine salesman who was returning to his home in Mineral Wells, West Virginia, roughly 50 miles from Point Pleasant, on a November night in 1966. As he was driving, he noticed that one of the machines in his car was sort of slipping, so he got out of his truck to adjust it. He finished moving stuff around and then began to drive off. And that's when he noticed lights approaching his car. Assuming that it was a police officer, he waited for a second. That's when a craft that looked like what Derenberger described as looking like a kerosene lamp chimney appeared. What? A kerosene lamp chimney is a tall glass tower that's sort of shaped like an elongated pear that goes over the flame on a kerosene lamp Mm -hmm. for the visual. So this craft appeared and a man exited the craft and began walking towards him with his arms crossed and hands tucked up into his armpits. At first glance, superstar, is that you, (laughs) Molly Shannon? (laughs) At first glance, the man looked surprisingly normal. He had thick, dark brown hair that was slicked straight back. His eyes, face shape, and all of that looked normal as well. He also looked as though he'd just spent a long amount of time in the sun. His skin was a deep tan, but Derenberger insisted that it's the way that someone looks that's just come out, like come inside from being outside in the sun all day, Hmm. which is an interesting detail. And that's where anything that one would consider to be normal would end. The man had a large grin across his face. It was almost too wide of a grin. Oh, gross. Yep. And throughout the exchange that was about to unfold, the grin would never move. Nope. The man's lips would stay curled in that chilling grin. So This is like my fourth time having goosebumps in this. Grin firmly in place, the man communicated with Derenberger. And yes, when I say that his grin was firmly in place, I'm saying that his lips never moved and the conversation that took place happened in Derenberger's mind. No. He made Derenberger a ventriloquist dummy. It's like so scary. (laughs) I can't even. In the middle of the dark night on a sparsely populated road, a craft appears and a man with a smile that won't break is communicating with you. And his hands are in his armpits. (laughs) That's, That's what got me. But so anyway, the man told him to roll down his passenger window. He asked him why he was frightened and told him not to be. According to Derenberger, he then said, quote, we mean you no harm. We wish you only happiness. End quote. Mm. That paired with the smile is so creepy. Yeah, I'd be like, I don't believe you. So he introduced himself as Indrid Cold. Although the whole exchange only lasted a few minutes, the next quarter of a century of Derenberger's life would never be the same. This exchange terrified him. He reported the incident to police, and wildly enough, after he reported it, many people came forward and said that they'd seen Derenberger's truck with him in the driver's seat and a man matching the description of the man that he'd given to police talking to him from the passenger window. So there's that. He's got people confirming that somebody was having a conversation with Derenberger on the side of the road. Oh, my gosh. So Derenberger went on to be interviewed on TV. Joining in on this interview were members of state and local police, Wood County Airport personnel, and a representative of the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base out of Dayton, Ohio. For 30 minutes, they grilled Derenberger with question after question about his encounter, and he did his best to answer every one. After the interview aired, many people came forward saying that they too had seen a man who matched Colt's description, that Derenberger gave. What? This is still late 60s, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, this my. is 1966. So did this go, like, national? I don't know how far it stretched, but I know that in the area, it was, like, pretty much all anyone was right. talking about. 
Oh yeah. Were they saying they were they saying they also saw the craft or just the man? From what I saw, just the man. Okay. And other people said that they'd had like brain conversation with this guy too. Crazy. Like saw the smile, heard thoughts mm. that weren't theirs. That sort of thing, which is so creepy. I want to know what his voice sounded like. I know. I don't actually. I don't, never mind. No, I don't. No. No. He's just oh, he's oh, just man. the most British person you've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so others told about strange lights and odd vehicles on that same road that Darren Berger was stopped on. This was a short-lived frenzy in the media in the area. After the craziness died down, the sightings of injured cold would continue. Darren Berger said that he was visited by cold more times. And that his family was also visited. What? This took such a toll on Darren Berger that he actually sought medical attention. He was worried that maybe he'd had some kind of, like, undiagnosed illness. Yeah. But after all of these scans and testing, his doctor declared he had a perfectly clean bill of health, both physically and mentally. He eventually moved out of the area to escape the ridicule and even just the unwanted attention that he'd received due to his stories of injured cold. He moved back towards the end of his life, but really, in the 23 years between his first interaction and his death at the age of 74, Darren Berger would remain burdened deeply by what he saw. He became obsessed, eventually resulting in Darren Berger getting divorced and other relationships in his life becoming strained as well. That's really sad. Yeah, it's like that first lady. She Her life was so affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was just never the same. Well, and by all accounts, what would he have had to gain? You know, what would he have gained from going public with what he saw? Well, and it's crazy how it's affecting, like, singular people so deeply, considering it's kind of a shared experience. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what sets them apart. Yeah. What made them special. Yeah. That's a really good thought. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy because there really is no compelling reason not to believe his account. He documented his account in full detail in a book that he also wrote. So these encounters changed his life in many difficult ways. And though he never recanted his original statements, he also refused to ever talk about it again. And that's kind of like a super zoomed out version of the events surrounding Indrid Cold. Hmm. So I'll include some links in our show notes if anyone wants to learn more about this character because... All of the encounters that people claim to have had with him are very scary. And injured cold was happening at the same time as Mothman? hmm Okay. Yeah, so the first Mothman sighting was in 1966 in November, mm-hmm. and this was also in November of 1966. That's wild. Same year. Weird. Very strange what timing. What a series, yeah, what a series of events. <laughs> I know. So many people have speculated who this man was. What did he want? How was it possible that he had communicated telepathically? What was the craft he arrived in? Many people have speculated over the years about who he is and what he has to do with the Mothman. But for the most part, the consensus is that, at the very least, Indrid Cold is definitely connected somehow. That's pretty much the only thing that people agree on. Or Point Pleasant is super cursed. <laughs> that, there is a hell mouth under Point Pleasant. <laughs> I mean, we've seen crazy things with portals on this show. Oh, we had talked about those, yes. Yeah. In at least two locations that we've talked about so far. Mm -mm. So Mothman sightings would continue through the winter of 1967. Sometimes an individual would report seeing the creature, sometimes at night, sometimes in broad daylight. Other times, whole groups of people would see the Mothman or crafts or strange lights. And while many of these were in Point Pleasant, as I'd mentioned earlier, people outside of Point Pleasant in towns within like a 50 to 60 mile radius were reporting similar sightings. Mm. So crowds would continue to gather to the TNT area in hopes of seeing something during this time. 
Sightings would also become more strange with many people claiming to see anything from flaming crafts, a creature that they assumed to be Mothman actually entering a craft, more men in black encounters, and so on. It would start to take a turn that UFOs were being spotted more frequently than Mothman from April 1967 until November of 1967 when a woman reported seeing Mothman in her backyard. She also lived near the TNT area. Another report in November was made by two hunters who saw the creature moving on foot in the McClintic Wildlife Preserve near the TNT area as well. This same day, Mary Heyer puts out an article with a slew of Mothman sightings in a pretty focused area. Sightings would continue flying in through November of the Mothman chasing cars while in flight on country roads in the area. The physical description remained consistent, with people tending to focus on how the wings of the creature seemed to not flap once during flight, and of course, the glowing red eyes. Another man had a sort of weird standoff with the Mothman, which he called a flaming-eyed gargoyle, which Hmm. I kind of loved, where they just sort of stared at each other, unmoving until the creature flew off. Band name, I call it. New band name. <laughs> Flaming Eyed Gargoyle. Yeah. Can I be in your band? Uh, maybe. I'll, I don't have any talents, but... You can set up an audition. Okay. <laughs> Pencil me into your calendar. Okay. So, I want to read this small snippet of a letter from John Keel to Mary Heyer that was written at the beginning of November. On November 3rd, 1967, John wrote a big, long letter that sort of recounted some of the occurrences and potential consequences of the men in black becoming involved. In one section, he wrote, quote, Mary, I have good reasons for suspecting that may soon be a disaster in the Point Pleasant area, which will not seem to be related to the UFO mystery. A plant along the river may either blow up or burn down. Possibly the Navy installation in the Point Pleasant area will be the center of such a disaster. A lot of people may be hurt. If this should happen, notify me as soon as you can and write the story normally. Don't even hint to anybody anything about it. End quote. He had his little That's So Raven moment. He did. He said, I have a vision. Mm. For real. (laughs) So in hindsight, this is incredibly eerie. Almost like a prophecy of a major disaster that would shape the Point Pleasant community, even to this day. Yeah. That's so weird. So on Friday, December 15th, 1967, at around 5 p.m., residents were in bumper-to-bumper traffic on the Silver Bridge heading home from work. The Silver Bridge was constructed in 1928, and it connected the town of Point Pleasant to the city of uh, Canaga, Ohio, across the Ohio River. At this point, it had been trafficked by somewhere around 4,000 vehicles every day for nearly 40 years. And despite all of the apparent supernatural activity in the area, to the some 70 cars on Silver Bridge at this time, it was just an ordinary drive home. Mm -hmm. That is, until one of the I-bars, one small piece of metal on the bridge, had a pin that came loose and caused a series of other bars to snap. Oh, no. The bridge collapsed into the Ohio River. 21 people would make it out, but 46 people would unfortunately pass away in the accident, with two of the victims never being recovered. It was a dark, crushing tragedy, and the single most deadly bridge accident in the United States. Still to this day. As far as I could find, it's still the deadliest. I did not know there was two people they never found. That is so sad. So, so sad. So the collapse of the Silver Bridge would lead to nationwide inspections of bridges, including the demolition of bridges that were built in the same method as the Silver Bridge had been built. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me think of, and you might have it in your notes, but that makes me think of that um, 
I think it was in Kansas City in that hotel, those like bridges oh that my collapsed gosh, yeah. on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Just so scary. And it, I think it was, if I remember right, because I just saw a thing about it the other day, I think it was an eye bar. I would have to look because they're, yeah. they're like a, it's like a 12 inch by like two inch thick piece of metal and they're like woven. Which like, I cannot believe that that's holding an entire bridge together. No, no. Yeah. I'm not an engineer, but I don't think that's cutting it. <laughs> it's not cutting it. This is definitely something that's like not legal. It's like Ugh. below standard now. It's not right, going to get approved right. yeah. by anybody, yeah. which is great. Like, I guess that's one good thing to come from such a terrible tragedy. Right. So the river was full of cars. Christmas gifts littered about in the current of the freezing cold waters, and the city was stunned by the tragedy. So I watched a documentary about Mothman that included interviews with people who lived in and around Point Pleasant during the time of the Silver Bridge collapse. And listening to them share their memories of that night was honestly, like, so hard. They all remembered what happened so vividly that they could describe the feeling in the air as soon as the news broke. You can also see in that documentary footage of the immediate aftermath and recovery efforts and all of that as well. It's so sad and so much more real to hear the actual people who had been there when it happened talk about it. They shared stories of people that they knew who had died in the accident, including a man who was in elementary school at the time of the collapse who had lost a classmate. The mayor had lost both of his parents. People lost friends, coworkers, and loved ones. I feel like this is one part of the Mothman story that can get overshadowed with speculation on if this event was caused by something supernatural or if it was just flat out poor construction and an awful accident. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to dive too deep into the supernatural theories because it doesn't feel right for me to do it. Mm-hmm. And many people already have. And it's not hard to find information about those thoughts and theories on the internet. Mm-hmm. So all I will say in regards to the Mothman at this point is that many did report seeing Mothman on or near the bridge in the days leading up to the disaster. Many speculate that either he had caused it or that he was serving the people of Point Pleasant with a warning of the disaster to come. That's the only theory I'm going to share on that, though. Yeah. So from December 15th, 1967 and on, the supernatural activity all but vanished. Mary, mm. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So Mary Heyer would continue her research on the Mothman, UFO sightings, and so on, but she would pass away from an illness on February 15th, 1970. Shortly after the Silver Bridge collapse and the disappearance of the Mothman from Point Pleasant, John Keel returned home and began compiling his experiences into what would become his most famous book, The Mothman Prophecies, which would be released five years after Mary's passing with a special dedication to Mary Heyer in the book. Mm. I love that. Me too. Did he use any of her articles? I think so. I would have to... I was going to read it from the library. I didn't have it. (sighs) so frustrating mm-hmm. i listened to it not that long ago but i genuinely cannot remember mm. all the letters and stuff are on his website mm. i'll link that though it's, they're crazy yeah. so also, isn't isn't the uh, amazon prime document documentary series called mothman prophecies i think so there and is there's a, a movie yeah there's like a dramatization also, maybe that, maybe movie, that's right? what i'm thinking of mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. use that same name so the book would eventually go on to become a major hollywood motion picture the mothman prophecies starring richard Gere in 2002 John Keel would write several more books exploring the paranormal over the course of his life, and he would pass away on July 3rd, 2009. Many credit his work, with the help of Mary Heyer, of course, as making the story of the Mothman a globally recognized one. Other books that helped popularize the story or that helped to explore all of the potential things that were going on here include Mothman, Evil Incarnate by Lauren Coleman, as well as the books written by Jeff Wamsley and Donnie Sargent. 
Uh, the one that I have read is Mothman, The Facts Behind the Legend. Mm-hmm. So there are plenty more, but those are definitely at the top of my recommended reading on the Mothman. But what we still don't have in this story is any sort of answer. Why did all of this happen? Who were the men in black? How can we explain the hundreds of sightings of strange lights and crafts in the 13 months between the first Mothman sighting and the collapse of the Silver Bridge? Who or what was the Mothman? Was he ever really there at all? Hmm. These are questions that many have spent considerable time trying to answer, but we are left with only theories. So let's spend some time working through some of the more popular ones before we wrap up today's stories. Okay. So let's start with natural explanation theories for the Mothman. Many believe that the original sighting that was had by the Scarberries and Millettes could have potentially a natural explanation. The most popular one being that this was a huge bird. Hmm. Considering the fact that there was a pretty high amount of contamination in the water at the McClintic Wildlife Preserve, it's not a huge stretch to assume that certain mutations could happen to animals who lived and hunted in the water and that those traits could have potentially been passed down genetically to offspring. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, I know this theory. I respect this theory. Mm-hmm. I just feel like owls are not that big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why we always got to have an owl theory with stuff like this, <laughs> but I, I've seen like the whole like, oh, have you seen owls in the dark pictures? And mm-hmm. they, I understand why people would be like, that's what they describe Mothman as. Mm-hmm. Owls are not seven feet tall. Right. If I saw an owl the size of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, <laughs> I would absolutely lose it. Yeah. I mean, Same. so maybe, I mean, so maybe that's why they did. Yeah. But I just feel like an owl. An owl? Really? With a 10 foot wingspan? I mean... Let me let me go through the theory, and then we'll see if you still feel that I'm way. I'm so sorry. You will still feel that way, I'm sure. But I still have to share this. I'm this so is sorry a to have interrupted you. No, I'm my gosh. The theory. Okay, so some think it could have been a mutated sandhill crane because they have red feathers around their eyes. A professor at West Virginia University weighed in on this early on during the time when sightings were just beginning. He explained that this is a highly likely scenario because even though sandhill cranes weren't local to the area— The sightings began during the time of their migration, and the migration would pass through the area. So the idea that several of these birds stopping and taking temporary refuge in a secluded forested area like the TNT area would make sense. Others believe that it could have been an owl. (laughs) I have words about the sandhill crane too, okay? I, I know, I don't blame you. So when light refracts off of the eyes of a large species of owl known as the barred owl, it shines back red. People were describing a creature that was between five and seven feet tall. But is it too wild of a thought to consider that it could have been a three foot tall owl with red light reflecting from its eyes? Yes. (laughs) Let me keep going. (laughs) The wingspan of both the cranes and the owls is surprisingly large with the cranes having up to an eight foot wingspan. Plus, not to discredit the witnesses, but it's a well-known habit that humans have to exaggerate the size of something when they're afraid. A very large owl might not be man-sized, but they can still be huge. Could it have been a large bird of prey? It's not entirely impossible. A lot of people think that once the first case of misidentification was reported and the creature was given a name and sketches of the monstrosity went public, that a sort of filet à deux where two or more people have shared delusions took place. I said that weird. Don't Mm, make fun of me. Famous Fall Out Boy album. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that is true. But in the case of the Mothman, what citizens were reporting was just a misidentification. That's the idea behind the theory. So in other words, they were seeing something real, 
but not what they thought that they were seeing. And this led to a sort of panicked mania in the area. And I, to- I totally get that. And I, I that's why I do respect this theory, because I think it's the most realistic. It is. But let me say something about sandhill cranes. Okay. First I, of all. Enlighten me. First of all, I hate them. I'm sorry to offend everyone. Why? I know, I know everybody here loves them. I'm so sorry. This is controversial. Yeah, that's my favorite. My in- what? I'm just kidding. I don't know about that. <laughs> my in-laws live near the like main area mm-hmm. where they congregate, like where yeah. they come in. Yeah. Like literally, you would not believe the cars lined up on the side of the road and like they have to put up like no trespassing signs and stuff because people will just sit there and watch them and they are ugly. You don't hate <laughs> sandhill cranes. You hate people. I am sorry. I hate the cranes, too. I'm sorry, okay. cranes. Okay. Okay. I'm saying it right now, if cranes. If have any cranes that are listeners, they are going to be very upset You know what? This. I can take them because they're not that big. They can I've have an eight-foot wingspan. They could, like, scoop you up. Just saying. They are very scary. Birds are scary. But <laughs> I just don't think... I know sandhill cranes are huge. I've seen them very close. But I just... I don't know. I don't know. They, you just can't be moved by them. But I do understand, like, people exaggerating because they're scared. Totally. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, just to say this, I don't want to make light of that sort of thing, like, of, like, major mass mania, you know? And I don't want to mock the situation or mm-hmm. the people who really were, like, their lives were upturned by this whole thing. But it is a popular idea. Once the initial sighting took place, everyone sort of panicked and went looking for a monster and believed that they found one. Mm. So, that's the theory. The paranormal theories surrounding Mothman reach far and wide the most popular being that he was some sort of extraterrestrial creature what his intentions were is obviously speculative but those speculations range from believing that he was scoping out the area for some sort of extraterrestrial research Hmm. considering that this is the late 1960s at the height of the space race can we just say that the timing was weird yeah like we're we're launching things into space and then we start seeing lights in the sky and weird creatures. Yeah. That's that we can't weird. Explain. The timing That's is weird. That's suspicious. It is. It is. Very suspicious. So others claim a sort of omniscience and that the presence of the Mothman was intended to serve as a warning to the people of Point Pleasant and those in surrounding communities about the impending bridge collapse, since so many people in the area frequented the bridge every single day. Right. Stories from all around the world have flown in over the years claiming that there were Mothman sightings before major disasters, such as the Chernobyl incident. What? Oh my gosh, I literally brought that up earlier. Isn't that crazy? There were Mothman sightings. Wondering if maybe the creature was warning them of the disaster to come. Others believe that Mothman was the result of an ancient Native American curse on the land that goes back to a land war between white settlers and Chief Cornstalk of the Shawnee tribe. He led the Shawnee and members of other tribes in battle that would become known as the Battle of Point Pleasant in 1774 and would end up being led into a trap that led to his murder in the aftermath. Mm. The legend says that before his death, he cursed the land and those who inhabit it. Now, the curse itself would be revealed to be completely fictional when a screenplay written in 1923 was discovered in an old elementary school that was the source for the legend. I was going to say, let's not place all the blame on Native Americans. Well, this is actually an important conversation topic because uh, in one of the documentaries that I watched, one of his, like, longtime descendants was on the documentary and was interviewed. And she said when they found the play, the mm-hmm. screenplay that was written, and it was, like, obviously a made-up thing, 
that there was like almost a vindication. Yes. Yeah. Because for so long, anytime anything would happen, it would be blamed on Chief Cornstalk. Yep. And then on some curse that doesn't even oh, exist. Geez, and thinking yeah. about the fact that there are still Native American people living in the area, working in the area, that was a really like frustrating, painful thing right. that and it was mm-hmm. like recurring. It was like every time the wound starts to heal, we rip the band-aid off again. Yeah. The you know, scab gets ripped wide open. They have to deal with the same pain all over again. Listen, they probably deserved a curse. I mean, honestly. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that there was one. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> In so many words, though, it was made up to make a screenplay that the town put on a little spicier, and it got passed down as fact for generations. Mm. In that same vein, early in the 20th century, the town of Point Pleasant had dealt with several disasters. And the bizarre thing about this is that at the same time, there were reported sightings of a large bird man beginning in 1914. The Ooh. bird man was described in several accounts as being massive, with the body of a bird and the head of a man. It had bright red feathers that seemed to glisten in the sunlight and had a wingspan of around 12 feet. Okay, I'm not very good with history, but isn't that like shortly before the Spanish flu? Yes. Yes, four years before. Just saying. Or three, I think, or six. Trying to warn Edward Cullen. (laughs) Edward, they're coming for you. The sightings of this bird man would continue through the 1940s, with residents and visitors driving along the Ohio River claiming to see it, with the physical descriptions maintaining remarkable consistency. On November 11th, 1966, so days before Mm -hmm. the Scarberry sighting, Mm -hmm. a group of four gravediggers were hard at work in a West Virginia town that was about an hour from Point Pleasant. They claimed that as it was getting dark, they all saw what they described as a flying man that flew over where they were digging a grave. They reported this incident, and it received news coverage. If we're going off of reports alone, there had been 50 years worth of sightings of a bird man in the Point Pleasant area, which is so weird and fascinating. That's far from an exhaustive list of theories and thoughts about Mothman and its origins, so I'll make sure to share some books and documentaries and stuff like that in the sources if you guys want to learn more. So today, Point Pleasant is still on the map across the world because of the Mothman. While many residents are kind of annoyed about the notoriety (laughs) of the town stemming from a monster story, as a whole, the community has embraced public fascination. In 2002, the first annual Mothman Festival was started by Jeff Wamsley and Caroline Harris, with many of the original Mothman witnesses making appearances over the years. Yeah, I was going to say, those were like, are those the original people? Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, Jeff Wamsley... Has the same last name as Marcella Bennett's right. brother, though. So I wonder if they're family. They, it has mm. to be. It has to be family. It would make sense, right? I would assume so. I would have to look at that. So You know how small towns work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are the odds that there's more Wamsleys? Right. Pretty low. So Jeff Wamsley also opened the first and only Mothman Museum in the world, attracting visitors from all over to come and learn not just about Mothman and the impact of the Mothman stories on the town, but of the history of the town at large. There's also a Mothman statue in the town that people will visit. I've seen pictures of people proposing to their partner in front of the statue. He's very handsome. He is so well made. He's very handsome. (laughs) All in all, regardless of what you believe, if you're skeptical or if you're a firm believer in the Mothman, the creature has gone down in history as a staple character in American folklore, and it definitely changed the landscape of Point Pleasant shaped the minds of the mysteriously inclined and fascinated hearers of the story for over 50 years. And that is what I have for you this week. I believe in Mothman, and Mothman believes in me. 
And that's all I have to say about the matter. <laughs> that's that's not, a lie. I have more not, to say. Yeah, I was gonna say you have more. You've been taking notes this whole time. <laughs> um, I just, I don't know, the owl theory. I don't know. It's just, it's the most likely, but I just can't get behind it. Because I literally wrote in my notes, why men in black if just bird? <laughs> <laughs> because well, valid. Like, that's valid, though. That's because I question. feel like if it was just some sort of huge bird, first of all, they could have tagged it. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I feel like if anything, the government would have come in and just been like, it's a bird. Right. And not been like, forget what you saw. People also saw it during the day. Right. I don't know if barred owls are um, nocturnal or not. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, what if the men in black are just birds? (laughs) Aviary. Birds aren't real. (laughs) Exactly. Birds aren't real. Oh. As you know. I'm notoriously terrible with geography. Mm-hmm. I used to call it geology because I'm not <laughs> terrible at it. Um, I did not know that West Virginia is right next to Ohio. Neither did I until I started I spent this, so, so much time in Ohio. <laughs> West Virginia is right there. Yeah. You could have just Every time right you said over. that, I was like, wow. Yeah. Ohio. Ohio. Who knew? Ohio's not even real. <laughs> birds. Just Ohio. Like birds. But Mothman is real. That's so... So I, I think what's kind of boggling my mind about this other than my realization that men in black are real and that the movie was a documentary exactly uh, mm-hmm. it, allegedly except for the that's a joke well par- part of it in the men in black realm you're describing them as these like uncanny valley kind of beings mm-hmm. that kind of make me go like wait what if they're not government related what if it's the same kind of world as trying to protect their own. Yes. Listen, listen, I just had a memory. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when I talked about Skinwalker Ranch? Yes. How Mrs. Sherman was looking out of the window at night when Terry was away. Yeah. And all of a sudden a craft appeared like 200 yards from the window. Yes. And somebody got out and he was like, she described him as being like between seven and 10 feet tall, mm-hmm. wearing like huge boots. That's too tall. He was I in all black. Again. Oh. What if yeah. that was a man in black? But like a nineties version, he was wearing like cool hip nineties boots, like extraterrestrial Doc mm-hmm. Martens and like leather pants and all that. Oh, that's crazy. I don't uh, know if that's 90s fashion, but... Okay, so also the smiley man thing yeah. also is in line with those monsters from Buffy. Ooh. And I have to show you a picture because it's so freaky. <gasps> oh, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. Oh. I'm telling you, it was so awful. The whole thing was because like they made everybody in town silent so that they couldn't scream. That is... Yeah. The premise of that alone, without even seeing the, the faces, is scary enough. It's so scary. Yeah, I don't know what I think about it. I always have that feeling of like I really want to believe. Mm-hmm. So your men in black, your men in black theory is that they were in fact galaxy defenders. Yes, essentially that mm. is the point. Mm. Except for w- whether or not they are uh, benevolent is <laughs> up mm. in the air. Mm. Interesting. I I tend to believe witness accounts. Like I mean, I've seen a lot of Finding Bigfoot. And I can, haven't we all? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We and all have dads. They've got the <laughs> they've got the town hall meetings, and some of the people in there are very compelling. Most of the time, this is comedy to me. Most of the time, 
I feel like I have enough of a, I don't know what I'm getting at, but I feel like I have enough of like a, like a careful eye Mm-hmm. That I can kind of sift through things, but I do believe at the very least that they saw something that wasn't normal. Sure. That they yeah. didn't see, even if it was an owl, it was an owl that was like, you know. Too big. Way, way <laughs> mutated. Well, and like when when witnesses had heard that theory, they were mad. They were like, you think we've never seen an owl before? Right. Yeah. Right. So I, and I always feel like bad discrediting People, especially people who have nothing to gain Mm -hmm. and their whole lives were basically ruined by coming forward and they had to like run away and hide. Mm -hmm. Uh, When people share stories like that and that's the outcome and they already knew that would be the outcome, why would they share it? Yeah. People are like, oh, people just want attention. I'm like, I I don't think any of them wanted attention. Right. Right, Because it's not like the people who were saying they had these experiences were like getting all this positive attention. Right. I mean, they the town basically made that woman agoraphobic because of her experience because mm-hmm. yeah. she was so scared to be like judged by them mm-hmm. so it's but not she like was scared to be alone too so right she was tortured basically so it's not like people were being like oh my gosh i saw a mothman and everybody's like tell me about it right no they're right. like you're insane get right. away from me you freak yeah and they were young it too. was an owl <laughs> yeah yeah it feels like gaslighting a little bit it is it is well and the, the thing about it it just it makes me feel like Nobody in their right minds defends something so severely for so long with no benefit. Right. Like, nobody does. Unless what they saw. Right. That's true. Right. At the very best, what they do is they actively avoid people asking questions. They say no comment, everything, whatever. Mm -hmm. Which there were a couple people like that, but they still defended their original statements. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, is you eventually stop talking about it at all, including that. Mm-hmm. And all of these people still defended their original statements, whether or not they ever came back around to talk about it in more detail or not. Mm-hmm. It just, it had to be something beyond just a natural explanation, in my opinion. That's how mm-hmm. it sounds. Yeah. I do um, really buy into the theory too. And I know you said you don't want to spend a lot of time on it because you don't want to discredit like the tragedy and everything, which is totally fair. Um, But I do think the theory of him being like an omen or like a warning is really interesting, especially Mm -hmm. considering Mm -hmm. all the other times he was seen. Right. Supposedly. Um, I do think it's really interesting. And I kind of love that some of the witnesses, survivors, whatever you want to call them, have, like, made this whole thing now where they're like, well, you guys can believe us or not. We're going to, like, try to do something good with our trauma yeah. <laughs> and make this, like, festival, which I think is so fun and I want to yeah. go so bad. I saw a picture of Jeff Walmsley with Linda Scarberry before she passed away. She went Aww. one of the years, and she was, like, so cute. Just, that's, like, the, that's the lady, the agoraphobic lady? Mm-hmm. Wow. She went to Mothman Wah. Festival, which, like, talk about overcoming fears. No, yeah. literally. Yeah. Like, come on. Good I for just her. want to give her a medal. Uh, what, do you see any pictures of, like, have you seen any pictures of the festival? And, like, do people show up in, like, Mothman cosplay? Yes. Okay, yes. so it's, like, a little bit, like, not <laughs> not quite so uh, uh, mindful. 
of original victims. I think that, that I think that's kind of the point. I don't know. I guess I don't know enough about it to even say that, but I would hope that's kind of the point is like, hey, we had this traumatic thing happen to us. Like, let's turn it into something positive and fun. Mm-hmm. So they just have fun with it and they're okay with it too. I think so. I okay. think so. Okay. Well, that's I'm good. not for sure. If, Especially if, so, if, if Wamsley, mm-hmm. I mean, he's got to be related to the original he's gotta be. person. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think, and I said this at the very beginning that this is like a really important character to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people feel strongly about Mothman, whether they like love Mothman and the idea of everything. And they've got their theories like, down to a science they could defend it till their dying day if they wanted to and they probably will and then you also have people on the other end that like if they're believers of Mm. course that's like the qualifying statement they think it was evil and they think you know they'll they'll defend their side of things and they'll people can back it up point is people feel very strongly about mothman and i really tried to be mindful of that um and I wanted to make sure that I kind of like sort of represented all of the ideas mm-hmm. because it's just a, it's a big story and it's not the only scary monster coming out of West Virginia. Just saying at some point we're going to yeah. have to do more episodes. Country <laughs> roads. Take me home. <laughs> take take me far away. Yeah. But um, yeah. I love you, Mothman. That is Mothman. Well, thank you for listening to the unusual, unsettling and unsavory story today. And as is our tradition, what would you rate the highest of those three things? I would have to say unusual. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say unusual. Is that is that the strongest for all of us? I can never pick one. I know you never can. <laughs> Give me my options again. Unusual. Unusual. Unsettling. Uh-huh. You do the last one. Or unsavory. <laughs> yeah. I just don't. I mean, it is unsavory in some ways, of course, because there was a big tragedy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessary. There are some unsettling parts. That's the thing is with it, it could be any of the three. Yeah. It's a nice little mixture. Mothman I think the most checks all three boxes. I think the most it is is unusual. This does not happen every day or every 50 years. Is it usual? No, it's unusual. It's the opposite of usual. Right. Yeah. That's that is the definition. <laughs> yes. Unusual. Yes. I would vote unusual, but I would highly highly put the other two in second place behind it. <laughs> So it's just the same as every episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Got it. There you go. There you go. Check. Oh, Check. Yeah. Check. <laughs> well, if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you leave a glowing five-star review. With every new five-star review, it helps us to get in front of new audiences and people who are interested in this kind of a podcast. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode on your favorite listening platform. Also, you can follow us on social media at This One Is A Doozy on Instagram and TikTok. You can also follow us on Facebook, This One's A Doozy Podcast. And if you have any recommendations for stories in the future, you can always email us, thisoneisadoozy at gmail.com. And also, what else can they do with that email address? You can send your stories, personal stories, stories from your mom, stories from your best friend, Uh, We will compile those into a big list and share them on Halloween night. We have enough for a full episode, but keep sending them because we Mm want to do more of them in the future. And I just think it's fun to know what people are seeing and experiencing outside of these four walls. So please, please send in your listener stories. Yes. All right. Well, with that, thank you for listening. Special thank you to Krista for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
And we will see you, not next week, because it's still October. We'll see you in just a few days for Mm -hmm. another Bonus content, baby! (laughs) Let's go! Thanks, guys. Bye! Bye! Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.